Pastor Wright, Pastor James Wright, my, my pastor texted me this morning, wished me happy birthday, and I said, man, it's going to be a good day because I get to preach the Word of God. Any, any day I get to open up the Scriptures is a good day, so I'm excited about that. I was going to preach on 43 things I've learned. Um, I figured, how often do you actually preach on your birthday? So you got to line it up with 43. Um, I was going to do that, but I decided, I decided that I haven't, I can't remember 43 things that I've learned. When you get to be 43, I'm sure I've learned 43 separate things throughout my life. I can't remember them. Um, so I thought, that's kind of silly. I'm not going to do that. So instead, I want to talk about the 43 names of God um, that have come to be meaningful to me, the 43 ways in which God has shown himself to me. And um, actually, I'm working alphabetically, so, um, so I'm, I, I'll, I'll work out... And, Anyway, I, I started, I was like, oh, that, that, I'll do the alphabet, and then I, then I had to only had to do a couple per letter, and that wasn't working out. And so, anyway, so this is going to be a 43-hour sermon on the 150 names of God that I think are awesome. Um, but no, we'll see how far we can get. So it's 1046 right now. So as my birthday gift to you all, we're going to end at 1130. It's a it's a beautiful day, sunny day out there. I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to press the sermon in. I'm going to push in these 43 names. We may have to skip over some things pretty fast. We may have to like, like M&M it, but we're going we're gonna to get through. <laughs> I'm going to spit some bars here in just a second, but we're going to get through it. All right, we're going to get through some names of God. So stick with me. Stick, 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 stick. Hey, M&M's from Detroit. That's like, like, he, like we're, Eight Mile, man. I drove past Eight Mile all the time. That's my hood. That's my neck of the woods up there. That's right. 43 times at least. I'm sure I was by Eight Mile. Okay, so starting alphabetically, let's start with our A's. We're, we're in A, and the very first one is Abba. Not Abba. That was a band from later. No, Abba. Abba means father. Galatians 4, 6 tells us that through the spirit of adoption, we can now cry out Abba, father, which means, Abba is kind of the, the Hebrew word for God, which means it's an affectionate word for father. It means daddy or, you know, it's, a, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a fearful father. It's, he's not an overbearing father. This is, this is one that, that you are close to. And actually what's interesting is this, this word Abba, technically the Hebrew is not... Um, well, the transliteration would be A-B-B-A. Technically, the Hebrew is Ab. And so there's kind of some weird, uh, interesting things as to why uh, uh, Paul in Galatians says Abba instead of just Ab. I don't know. But the Hebrew word is, is Ab. And I was looking at the Hebrew word for Ab. And so I, I wanted to bring up just a, a picture for you because there's a whole study in, 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 in the Hebrew language where they're looking at the letters of the words and how those letters correspond to different visual effects. Because way back in the day, ancient languages were more pictorial. Uh, Japanese is kind of like 
like this. Uh, and certain Chinese characters, they, they look like sort of what they're trying to say. So anyway, this is interesting. I'm not saying this is straight up Bible. I don't really know. This is kind of reading into some stuff. But I thought it was interesting that, that, when, that, when, that when the Hebrews put together the word Ab, which is the word father, they took basically A and B, right? So the first two letters of the alphabet, A and B, and they stuck them together. Now, obviously, it's not A and B for them. For English, it's A and B. So A kind of looks like an ox. A is, is the letter for strength. Ox, man, they, they, they go out. They're plowing in the summer. They're, they're breaking up the fallow ground. They're making, they're, they're, they're making the dough. This is what fathers do. Fathers plow through difficult things in order to bring home the bacon, in order to provide for the family. They're out there working in the heat, in the sun. That's what a good father does. A good father provides. A good father leads, goes out first, right? And so, so a good father is kind of like an ox. So we got some oxen in here. Uh, welcome in. Strong as an ox. Strength, determination, hard working. And then the second letter looks kind of like a, a tent or a house, and so, and so there's some thinking that, that the Hebrew word for father could be used to mean that the strength of the house or the provider for the house. And I know some of you grew up without a father present. And so maybe you don't understand what I'm talking about. But I, I personally had a good father in, in my life. And that, that father was our strength. And he was uh, solid. And he, and he brought stability. He brought structure to the house. That's what fathers do. Good fathers bring structure and stability and strength. And that's what God has done for my life. God is the skeleton of my life. You rip God out of my life and I'm a blubber on the floor. He's the, he's the structural integrity of my belief system. He's the structural integrity of my happiness. In fact, I was listening to a financial guy this past week and he was talking about how, how, how money it won't buy happiness. But it does buy joy for like short little periods, you know. And I thought, man, that's so true. Because if you don't already have happiness and then you get money, it's like having a house without walls, but you just got some fresh paint. So you're going to get, you're happy about the paint. But when you go to apply it to your life, there's nothing really to apply it to. So it just sort of sits there. That car just kind of sits there. That house just kind of sits there. That, those possessions just kind of sit there when you don't already have happiness structured into your life. But for for those of us that have a heavenly father, for those of us that have structural integrity to our ongoing happiness, when you add a little, a little bit of money, you can start painting those walls and it's like, hey, life is a little bit easier now. And you can actually enjoy the blessings that God gives because you have a father. It's so important to have a father. If you're here today and you don't know what in the world I'm talking about, you don't have a heavenly father, you need to meet Jesus. You need to invite him into your heart because he will add structural integrity to your life. And it's so, so important. You want to, you want to know how important it is? I mean, it's so important that actually they're starting to track like fatherless homes right now. And the statistics for single mother homes are horrifying. I mean, absolutely horrifying. In 2009, they, 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 they did a study and they said 80% of people in prison came from single mother homes. 80%, 8 out of 10 people that Romeo was meeting grew up without a father in their life. I'm telling you, fathers add structure. 
They add structural integrity. They add, they add value to you. It's, it's unbelievable the, the amount, the, the ways in which just simply, and, that, and, and that's not a diss on single mothers. <laughs> single mothers are some of the hardest working women you'll ever meet. Some of the most self-sacrificing women you'll ever know. And they're, they're, they're doing everything, trying to pull everything together. But I'm telling you, a, the presence of a father is so powerful. When I was growing up, a good friend, my best friend, well, Peter was my best friend. My second best friend was a, a mutual friend of ours, Mike. Pete was my best friend, but then, but then Mike was our other, was our, was our, it was always Harry, Pete, and Mike, and Brandon. Like, that was the four of us. We were, we were super close. And Mike came from a single mother home. I mean, technically, I think Terry was married, I don't know, three, four times. She was a very hopeful woman. <laughs> she was married multiple times. She kept trying, man. She kept trying. Very hopeful. And eventually, but most of the time, as I remember, uh, Mike was growing up in a single mother home. But he is not a statistic. He's not a st statistic. He's not the 80%. He's not a statistic because he found a father. He found an Abba. And God said he would be a father to the fatherless. So if you're here today and you don't have, you don't know who your physical father is, you didn't grow up with a physical father, I can tell you there is a replacement. There's only one replacement and his name is Jesus. There is a father to the fatherless and he will come and give that same structural integrity, integrity to your life that that human was supposed to. I know it's been a really long in the first letter and you guys are like, you got 42 more to go. But I'm telling you. It's not, about, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. So walk with me through this. God has been a father to me. He has added structural integrity to my life. When nobody else believed in me, God believed in me. And God called out of me who I was. Because he knew who I was. That's what fathers do. Fathers plow difficult ground. They go through, they have difficult conversations. They'll, they'll, they'll confront you sometimes when you need to be confronted. There's some strength. When you're slacking, they'll let you know. Anyway, so fathers are good. So he's, he's an Abba. He's a father. Uh, he's also an advocate. He's my advocate, man. On my worst days, I know Jesus is praying for me. He's advocating for me. An advocate means, an advocate means that, that it, when you're an advocate, it means you're standing up for somebody who can't stand up for themselves. And this is who my God is. My God is an advocate. He comes between me and judgment. He comes between me and what I deserve. He comes between me and, 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 and what I've done to myself, the fruit of my own, my own stupidity, my own sin, my own ignorance. He is my advocate. I'm happy. I'm thankful that I have a God who comes between me and my judgment. Number three, he is the ancient of days. So we're on to the A's, the ancient of days, meaning he's from before the beginning. He's from, I think A.W. Tozer said, the unbegun beginning. So he has no, he himself has no beginning. He himself has no, no father. He has no start. He always was. And I know that's hard to imagine. It's hard to believe. But, but if, if you can receive that, the rest of the Bible makes sense. If you can receive that, everything else can line up. I was listening to Joe Rogan 
the great Bishop Joe Rogan the other day. I don't know if you guys, I kind of like Joe. Uh, I know he's not a Christian. I know he's kind of agnostic, I guess. I don't know. He's searching, wondering. He had a, he had a, he, he's, he, he's also, uh, he's, he's an evolutionist. He believes in, believes in evolution. And he had a creationist guy on his, on his podcast. And, and he, was in, he was interviewing the creationist guy. And, 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 and I don't remember all the details exactly. You can go look it up. But I think the creationist guy was kind of, kind of nailing, nailing Joe to the wall on his own inconsistency, which is that Joe doesn't believe in God out there who, who created things, and yet Joe believes that out of nothing, something went bang. <laughs> Whether you call it a big bang theory or whatever you call it, Essentially, Joe believes that there was nothing and then suddenly there was an explosion. You don't get an explosion without something to explode. And so the creationist was kind of like, like, because if you keep hitting rewind on, on the theory of evolution, you eventually run into this issue. You run into the issue of, okay, all right, that evolved into that, fine, that into that, okay. But where did it, who started it? Because where, it just didn't come. Just you, things don't just evolve out of nothing. Right? Even if you can believe in evolution, which is kind of a stretch, but so okay, you rewind, you go back to the very beginning, like what about that? And Joe said, and I thought it was very revealing, and that's why I like Joe, because he is, he's intellectually honest. He said, I guess I am asking for one miracle. He said, he said, you Christians, you got a book full of miracles, you believe in all that stuff. I'm asking for one miracle. Miracle, one time for something to have come out of nothing. Like one time, one miracle. I guess that's what I'm asking for. And I was listening to that and I was like, Joe, man, Joe, like, like you're, you're, you're searching for one thing that existed before everything else. You're searching for one person who was himself not created. You're searching for the uncaused cause. Joe, man, I know his name. I know his name. It's Yeshua. Like, I know his name. He is before all else. Nothing came before him. Nothing birthed him. Nothing created him. He himself created everything. He is the uncaused cause. He's the uncreated creator. He's the uninfluenced influencer. He is before all things, ahead of all things, beyond all things, outside of all things. I know him. So I know, Joe, I know you watch my sermons and you really like them. So, brother, look me up. I'll get on your podcast. We'll, ha we'll sit down and have a chat about this uncaused cause because the whole world is looking for him the whole world can't figure out how we all got here without him and if you can receive that one miracle then all the other miracles make sense because if somebody existed before all of this and created all of this then that somebody can pretty much do whatever he wants to do <laughs> like he can walk on water he can raise the dead he can do whatever he wants to do he is the ancient of days. And number four, he is the author of our faith. Hebrews tells us that Jesus, God, is the author 
and the finisher of faith. You didn't just come to faith because it made sense. You didn't just come to faith because you, Joe Rogan was searching. Like, <laughs> you didn't just come to faith because of your parents, even though I'm thankful for my parents' faith. The truth is, Jesus is the author of faith. That He gets out his pen and he starts writing your faith story. He starts writing your journey. And as he, there's some chapters maybe you don't even agree with, but he is the author of my faith. I have faith in him because of him. This is the crazy thing. I have faith in him because of him. I didn't even come to the conclusions by myself. I didn't arrive at faith through a long journey of intellectual dispute. I arrived at faith because he came to me and authored and began my faith. He birthed faith inside of me. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit calls him. The Holy Spirit began drawing me and placing. Jesus said to each is given a measure of faith. God created me and then he gave me the gift of faith. And with that gift of faith, I believed in him. And when I believed in him, then he gave me power to become his son. And now he's my father. I know that's a lot more names than just four. But anyway, but we're on four. He's the author of faith. Now let's skip, skip over to B. He is the, the balm of Gilead. Scripture tells us in the Old Testament, Gilead is a, is a place in Jerusalem. Jeremiah 8.22 says that there is a balm in Gilead, and that, that is God. God is the balm. So the balm is the cream. It's the healing cream. It, it's the healing cream that if you got cut, you would, especially in ancient times, I mean, you had no disinfectant, you had no antibiotics, and so you could have a wound in your body, and if that wound isn't healed... It's going to turn into gangrene. It's going to turn into infection, and you could die. And yet, and yet, and yet, even even today, my wife, who isn't watching because she's sleeping right now, she's in New Zealand. So they're in a whole different time frame. Uh, they're on the other side of the world, but they have in New Zealand a type of honey called manuka honey. If you've met, if you talked to Ro for more than five minutes, you know about manuka honey. She's big time, like everything. Like she just puts manuka honey on everything. Like she wants to put it on my car. She wants to. Just kidding, she doesn't really. But no, Manuka, honey, like she just swears by it. And it is pretty phenomenal stuff. I mean, you, yeah, I mean, if, if you have a cut or a wound, you can put Manuka. Doctors, hospitals even prescribe Manuka, honey. It's a particular honey from New Zealand. I don't know what in the world it does. It's got magical powers or something. And you place it on your wound. It starts killing the, the infection. It starts destroying any kind of disease. It even helps skin repair, muscles repair, tendons come back together. We've had horses with massive holes like in their legs. I don't know if that's the right term. But it's like you can see through the other side. You can see tendons and stuff she's putting manuka honey three times a day and then it just heals back up and that is what God is God is the God who comes to us in our woundedness in our brokenness in our bloodiness in our in, in, in our inability to help ourselves and he just begins healing and it's a process and it takes time and he must be applied daily three times a day would be great you have to keep applying him and as you apply him he brings healing where he is applied he does not bring healing where he sits on a jar on a bed shelf, on a bed stand next, next to your bed, and you, and you go to sleep every night and look at that Bible and think, oh yeah, it's so nice that I have. No, no, no. Where he, is, where he is stored, that's not where healing comes. Where he is applied, that's where the healing comes. And my God has been a healing balm for me. As I've been beat up by people, beat up by religion, beat up by Christians, beat up by non-Christians, beat up by politicians, beat up by this world, beat up by social media, beat up. And, and, and as I've been wounded and cut by friends and by family, as I've been betrayed, as I've been let down, as I've been disappointed, God has been the healing balm for me. 
If you're wounded, if you're disappointed, if you're limping through life, can I suggest applying? He's the balm of Gilead. He's the bread of life. He is my daily bread. I connect with him daily, not because it's a religious routine, but because I'm hungry. <laughs> Same reason I drove to BJ's last night and got some pizza. Because I am by myself and I am hungry. And my wife isn't there to cook and my kids aren't there for me to like go over anything with them. I can be by myself. I'm driving all around Austin, getting some pizza, hanging out because I'm hungry. Well, guess what? God is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. In other words, to sustain life, you need him. Life doesn't make sense without him. You'll constantly be searching. Joe Rogan, you'll constantly be searching for that thing, for that missing thing, because you're hungry. Because there's something inside of you that yearns for the bread of life. All the rest is candy. <laughs> see, Jesus isn't the Snickers of life. He's not even the honey of life. <laughs> that's... that's that's Rowena. She's the honey of life. She's the sweetness. But you can't just live on sweetness. You can't just live on sugar. He's the bread of life. I need Jesus more than I need my spouse. I need God more than I need my kids. I need him more than I need you all, more than I need church, more than I need fellowship, more than I need worship. I need him. He's the bread of life. Everything else can add spice. Some of you all are the spice in my life. Some of you are the cinnamon. Some of you are the vegetables. Some of you... <laughs> The Brussels sprouts, I don't know. It's, God thinks it's good for me. I don't know why. But, but he's the bread. Might be a veggie. He's the bread. He's the, the warm sourdough bread. Come on, somebody. Mm, let's, let's, keep, let's keep moving. Some good crust. Number seven, he's the bridegroom. The bridegroom, this is, this is how, this is why religion isn't, this is why Christianity isn't about a religion situation, it's about a relationship, because he's described as our groom, our bridegroom. So just as, just, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, that means that we are headed toward a wedding, which is why the, it's, it's, the, the, the dumbest question in the world is, well, can I still do this and get to heaven? <laughs> That's why it's such a dumb question. Because it's like, well, I don't know, um, probably not. But even if you could, is, that how you, is, this, is this how you want to show up to your wedding with God? I mean, do you really want to roll out of bed with the world and then walk down the aisle to God? Is that going to work? Would that work in your wedding? Is that how you did your wedding? Is that, is that, is that how it works? That's not usually how it works. When you're engaged to someone, you're focused in on that person only. You're not running around with a bunch of other people. <laughs> so he is our groom. He is our bridegroom, which means even though we haven't yet had the marriage supper of the Lamb, we haven't sat down with him in heaven yet, we are engaged to him. We are betrothed to him. We are in an exclusive relationship with him. And to ask the question, well, can I do this and stay in a relationship? Check with him. <laughs> don't, don't, don't ask me. You're not in a relationship with me. You're in an exclusive relationship with him. And his word will tell you exactly what you can do and not do and still be in a relationship with him. And so, and so this relationship, though, we are getting closer and closer and closer. And I'm 43 steps down the aisle. 
And if you're wondering how God sees me, it's like, it's like, it's like when you're at a wedding and you see the groom standing down, down here at the front with the pastor and, and the, the bride is coming down the aisle. And you see the joy in his face and you see the joy in her face and you see the expectation in his face, you see the expectation in her face. You see that they're not con- concerned about who's here and who's sitting where and who's with who and, and it, they're, they're focused in on each other. And this has been my 43 years, have been 43 steps closer to the altar where I finally get to be with him. I finally get to take his name. I finally get to be with him without anything in between us. And this is how, uh, this is how God is looking at me. This is why Hebrews says to look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We look unto him because he is the direction that we are walking in. And just like a groom looks at the bride, this is the way God looks at his children. <laughs> If you, want, if you want someone to look at you the way that a groom looks at a bride, come and meet my God because every single day he is looking at me just like that with hope, with expectation, with joy, and I'm one step closer. I don't know how many steps I got to go. I don't know. But, but, but this journey, I'm not concerned about who's on my left. I'm not concerned about who's on my right. I'm not concerned how much money's in the bank. I'm not concerned if I've achieved this or not achieved that. I am looking to Jesus. He is my beloved. And he's more beautiful than anything. He is the bridegroom. Number, uh, let's go number eight with C. Let's just go into the C's. We're in the, the third letter of the alphabet. Uh, all right, we've got 21 minutes. We've got to move faster. He's the changeless one. Malachi tells us that I am the Lord, I change not. He's changeless. God is changeless in a season and in a culture that is constantly shifting. He is changeless. Which means two things. Number one, he has never been more merciful than he is right now. The way that you see him right now, that's the way he has always been. You just didn't recognize it. <laughs> he's always been as good as he is right now. But it also means he's always been as holy as he is right now, as just as he is right now. I don't care if the Presbyterian bishops get together and vote to, to change sexual immorality into something that they see as good. It doesn't matter. God is the changeless one. His word is changeless. His promises are changeless. His justice is changeless. It does not change. Number nine, he is my comforter. Scripture tells me that he is my comforter, that the Holy Spirit has come to me to comfort me in all of my sorrow, in all of my disappointments, in all my difficulty. He is my comforter. He comes alongside me and consoles me. Number 10, he's my counselor. He's been a great counselor for me. I have, luckily, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have a lot of human counselors too who, who I can bounce things off of and wise people around me. But there's no counselor like God. Because at the end of the day, I want to do what he wants me to do. And so he will direct my life. I guess that's, that's, a, that's a D word, but he will direct me. He will guide me. He will, he will show me the path that he wants me to take. And, and so many times Christians are like, oh, I'm just praying for direction and I'm not getting it. Is it that you're not getting it or is it that you didn't like the direction that he gave? You're waiting for something else. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you're really open to his counsel, he will be your counselor. If you really seek him first and his righteousness, all of these other things will be added to you and you will receive him and his righteousness. On to number 11 into D, he is my defense. So I don't have to stick up for myself because God sticks up for me. God uh, advocates for me. He is my defender. That's why Christians who are so concerned about being taken advantage of, I wonder have they really met my God who is a very strong defender. 
few years ago I, uh, that we had a guy who stole about $3,000 from me and Roe. And uh, then he just took off. Nobody knew where he was or anything. It was 3,000 bucks gone. And it was, it was difficult because we didn't have, we barely, I mean, that's just about all we had. <laughs> we barely had that. And um, you know, we didn't have a good emergency fund. We were just kind of doing ministry and doing life. And, and we lost $3,000. And, and so, man, I, I, I had to work through that, through forgiving that person. I mean, I was never going to see him again, but I had, I had to forgive him for me. And so I worked through that process over a couple of months. And then about six months later, I was getting onto an elevator and God spoke to me just out of the blue. I was getting onto an elevator, not thinking about anything. And God just speaks to me and said, hey, do you want me to make, and he named the guy, do you want me to make him pay you back the $3,000? Because he is my defender. And I said, well, Lord, uh, I mean... <laughs> No, no, I began thinking because he, he, God waited to ask me till I'd already forgiven him. God sometimes doesn't ask you because you haven't let them go yet. He will not defend you when you're busy defending yourself. He won't. He won't do it. He'll wait for you to get tired and weary of defending yourself and say, okay, can I step in now? So I had stepped out. I had said, okay, I forgive him. I release him. If he never pays me back, that's fine. We're going to go on with our life cool. We'll keep on going. And so when God spoke to me about him, I didn't get angry. I didn't get upset. I'd be like, oh, I hate that guy. It wasn't anything like that. He just said, you want me to make him pay you back? And, and so because I wasn't already bitter, I wasn't already angry, I could see it clearly. And I, and I knew the guy needed the money more than me. I mean, obviously he's making some bad life decisions. <laughs> you know, I, I, so I knew he needed the money. I knew he was struggling. I, I, like, I knew all of that. And I knew that if he, I knew he already spent it. It's already gone. Like the way he's making life decisions, he doesn't have three. He needs to steal again from somebody else. Like, that's what he needs to do. And I said, Lord, I don't think he has it. And I think, you know, it would be really, really, really difficult. I said, how about you just forgive him? Act like he never did it. Don't hold it against him at all. Just erase it out of his book right? But put it on my books. I, your kid, lost all of his savings. I'm not even going to put a number on it. All of my savings I lost in a day. Now, if you want to repay that, I mean, I don't know if I would have invested that in the stock market, I don't know what kind of returns, if I would have put it into Tesla at that time. I don't know. I don't know. Like, Lord, like if you want to repay that, whatever you think is fair, you go ahead and repay that. And that was it. That was the end of the conversation. About a year and a half later, I got a check for, I guess it was like 33 times 3,000, which was crazy. No way should we have sold our house for that much money. But we were like, well, we need this much money to buy this other house. We just started the church. And I was like, Lord, uh, and, and with, within 12 hours, they were like, sure, we can pay that. It was like 50000 over every other house in the area. <laughs> it was crazy. And God said, so we good? Square? <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. Thank you. Because he's my defender. I would much rather have him defend me than me go around and try to defend myself. He's my defender. He's my deliverer. My defender, that's when, that's when people do things to me. He stands up for me. My deliverer, that's when I do stuff to myself. <laughs> that's when I get myself in trouble. That's when I waste. Trust me. I, I, oh, man, I could share some stories. I, should, I could share some stories of some stupid things I have done. And God has come through and been like, oh, 
bless his heart. He, he needs some help, which doesn't, it's not actually a blessing. But anyway, he, he, he's come in, he's patted me on the back and said, son, let me, let me take over from here. All right. You're kind of just digging yourself right into a hole. He's my deliverer. Uh, Psalm 40, 17. Uh, Isaiah 53, 3 says that he is despised. And I included that because it's important to know that God is despised and rejected. As I've been talking about him, sounds really awesome. Sounds like nobody would ever reject him. But he has been despised and rejected. And so if you feel rejected and despised, he can relate with you. In times of my rejection and I'm feeling that I'm not being appreciated, he's related with me. He knows what that feels like to be an outcast. He knows what that feels like to not fit in. Number 14, he is the door of the sheep. John 10, 7 says he is the door. That means uh, the shepherds back in the day, they'd be out in the field. They had to live out there for multiple months. And so they would build a wall, sort of a gate, a fence around, and then they would have a door and the door would lift up and the sheep would go out. So the short version of this, when Jesus said he's a door, he means that at nighttime, the sheep would go looking for the door to come into safety. So God is what I look for for safety. Because the wall and the door would keep the sheep safe from the wolves at night. And so the sheep, after a long, hard day, looks for the door to find safety. But after a long night in the morning, the sheep look for the door to find food, to get out. The same process is happening now that my kids are out of town. I have to take care of the dogs. So, I had to, so that means before I go to bed at night, I got to let them out. And for them, going out to relieve themselves, they're great. And then in the morning, I got to let them out again, and I got to let them back in. And so the door means something different based on what you're dealing with in life. And Jesus said, I am both. I am both the place of safety for you to rest, and I am the place of, of excitement and, and mission and purpose. This past week, we had somebody in one of our prayer meetings. She asked for prayer. She said she's lacking motivation. Wakes up in the morning, just kind of goes about her day, and she's lacking motivation. And I said, great, you need to meet God. God is the door that opens up all of the motivation you might need. All green pastures, all future excitement, adventure, thrills, romance, adventure. <laughs> My pastor used to say, thrills, chills, spills, and adventure. That's what, that's what God, he opens all of that up, and he's the one I'm looking for. So he's the door. He's also the dwelling place. Psalms tells us that he's our, our, our dwelling place. 90 verse 1, he's our dwelling place. Going on uh, to E, he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1, 23, you shall call his name Emmanuel. He, he will be Emmanuel. He, he is God who is with us in the struggle, with us in the fight, with us in the joy, with us in the excitement, with us in the good days and the bad days. He is God who never leaves or forsakes us. Number 17, he is our everlasting father which is kind of like Abba, but he just doesn't quit. <laughs> He's not a temporary father. He is an everlasting father. Number 18, he is the fountain of living waters. We're into F now. He's the fountain. This is why it's so awesome when Jesus pulls up next to a woman who's beside a well in John's gospel, because he is a well. He is a fountain of living waters. He pulls up next to this woman who's getting water out of a well. And yet, the water that she's getting, she has to come back and get that water every single day. And Jesus said, if you had the water that I give, if you ever tapped into the person of Jesus Christ, if you ever connected and hooked up to God, 
Because here's the deal. She was getting water out of a well, but she was going back to what her fifth marriage, I think, or it wasn't even a marriage, going back to her fifth relationship. She'd been married multiple times, and she, the guy she's with, she's not married to. In other words, she was still looking for something. She was still thirsty. And Jesus said, even though you got that water, that water hasn't met your deepest need. But when you connect with living waters, now you have water that brings life, that brings contentment, that brings fulfillment. He's the living well. So whenever I get thirsty, I turn back to him. And uh, continuing on with F, he's the friend of sinners. That, that, that title was given to him by his enemies as a, as, as a ridicule. It was, it was not meant to be a compliment. But Jesus turned it into a compliment. Because, because through, through millennia, sinners have found a friend in Jesus. They have not found a judgment. Uh, they have not found an, an obliteration. They haven't found a, 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 a swift like smack in the head for what they've done. They've found a friend. Even before they've changed their sinful ways, he has shown himself friendly. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you come to him. You're going to find a friend. Now let's look at G. There's one word for G and it's God. <laughs> he is God. He is God and scripture has multiple ways of talking about him. He's the God who avenges me. I talked about that a little bit. He's the God who forgives. I talked about that a little bit. He's the God of my righteousness the God of my salvation, and the God of my strength. The fact that he's God, actually, that's not a Hebrew word, God. That's an Anglo-Saxon word. It's a word that the Anglo-Saxons came up for God to describe him. And it's derived from the word good. So that's, that's my next one, is that he's good. John 10, 11 says, actually, he's the only one who's technically good. And so he is good. If you come to him, you will find that he's good. You'll find that, he's, that his intentions are good, that his heart for you is good. Number 26, he is harmless. <laughs> he's harmless. He's not here to cut you. He's not here to hurt you. He's not here to reprimand you. You'll find him to be gentle. I guess that, that could be a G one. <laughs> I missed that. He's harmless. He's, number 27, he's a helper. He's my helper. He's my helper in big things, profound things, and also in little things. When I'm working on the car, he's my helper. When I'm running into issues with my kids, he's my helper. This is why parenting is not just a single, it's not something for me to do. It's not something for me and my wife to do. It's something for me, my wife, and the Holy Spirit to do because I need help. <laughs> Anybody else here ever need help? Are you all good? You're just good all the time? You got figured out all the time? I need some help. I gotta, but I have a helper. And final H is he's holy. He loves righteousness and he hates sin. He's holy. He hates things that are destructive. He hates things that are evil. Number 29, into I, he is the inhabitor of praise. He's the inhabitor of praise. This is why we worship. This is why we come together in praise because the Bible says in Psalm 22, 3 that he will inhabit the praises of his people. He dwells within praise. He's constantly surrounded by praise. So if you're feeling a lack of his presence, all you have to do is begin to praise. 
you're feeling a lack of his presence, if you can't feel his presence, you have to just begin to worship and begin to praise and begin to exalt him, begin to, begin to lift him up. If you need a list, obviously I got a few things to celebrate and to elevate him and to extol him and to magnify the Lord, oh my soul. And all that was, is within me, bless his holy name because he is the inhabitor of praise. And then uh, the, the next I is he is an intercessor. Scripture tells us that he is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. That whatever you're going through, Jesus is praying for you. And on into J, he is Jehovah. He is Jehovah. Not Jesus, he is Jehovah. He is, <laughs> he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Nisi, my banner. Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Jehovah Sikkanu, my righteousness, Jehovah Mkadesh, my sanctifier, Jehovah Rapha, my healer, Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd. Oh, while we're on J, he is Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means deliverer. That's who he is, and he's still delivering today. I don't care what you're facing. His name is Jesus. There's one name actually in this whole list you need to remember, and it's Jesus. He is Jesus and he is a judge. Oh, and he's just. I don't think that's on there, but he's a just judge. Is another J. What that means is that nobody has ever gotten away with anything. Nobody anywhere has ever gotten away with anything. That's a lot of ultimate statements, but it's true because God is the judge. Epstein didn't get away with nothing. God is the judge. Hitler thought he did. No, but he didn't get it because God is the judge. All roads lead, uh, uh, Keith Green said, all roads lead to the judgment seat of Christ. There's no avoiding it. There is no escaping it. There is no detours around the judge of all the earth. <laughs> on into K, he is the king. It's kind of like the main one on K, I think. He is the king. He's the king eternal in 1 Timothy 17. Actually, 1.17 tells us he's the king eternal, meaning his kingdom will have no end. He's the king immortal, which means he will not die. You can't kill him. You can't take him out. By the way, he's the only one who's truly immortal. All the rest of us, we're all going to die someday. Or he's going to return and it's going to melt our bodies, which is kind of like dying. <laughs> If you've ever experienced it, he's going to get vaporized. He, he, he is the only one who's immortal. Some friend, some friend of ours who's an atheist, uh, she was telling Ro about her dad, who's also an atheist, and, and he died uh, a little while ago, and I think he died of a, um, uh, some kind of degenerative disease. It might have been cancer, but he, he, he was so angry, so flipping mad, that he, like he was yelling at the top of his lungs on, on his deathbed. This person was telling us it was so difficult emotionally because he was just so angry. He said, I'm not ready to die. I am not going to die. And I said to Ro, it must be an awful shock. It must really come as an awful surprise to somebody who's lived such a privileged life here in America with the money that they want, doing what they want, when they want, where they want, how they want, for them to come to the realization that somebody else decided the day of their death and there is nothing they could do about it. It must be an awful shocking thing. To realize that you, like the milk in your refrigerator, have an expiration date. 
that you are not forever, that your savings is not eternal, that I don't care how well you've planned, what you've done, how well you have succeeded, what people think of you, what you've convinced yourself of, there is a moment in which you will die, but he will remain because he is immortal. Yeah. When the toast has burned and all the milk has turned and Captain Crunch is waving farewell, when the big one finds you, may this song remind you that they don't serve breakfast in hell. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that one in there. Y'all don't know that song? Man, come on. <laughs> He's the king immortal. He's the king invisible, which means you can't see him, but he's still there. You also can't see the wind. But if you ever lived through a hurricane, you've learned to respect it. He's the king invisible. He's the king of glory, the king of heaven, the king of kings, the king of peace, the king of righteousness, and the king of the saints. On to El, he is the lamb of God. I got two minutes. He's the lamb of God. He's the life. I could spend all whole time on the Lamb of God. I'm not going to. He's the life, John 14, 6 says. He is the lifter of my head in Psalm 3, verse 3. He is the light. He's the lily of the valley. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the living bread and the Lord my God. In number 43, he is my Lord and Savior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second Peter... 111 said he is the Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but Lord in charge, my captain, my boss, my governor, my king, my sovereign one. I got one minute left, so let's keep going through the alphabet. He's the Lord of the harvest, and he's the Lord of lords. Onto M, he's the maker. He's the mediator of a new and better covenant. He's merciful and he's mighty. Unto N, he's the name above all names. And oh, he's the omnipotent one. He's the only potentate. Sorry, Pope. He's the only potentate. Uh, <laughs> he's the only wise God. Unto P, he's the pavilion. He's a pavilion for his people. He is peace. He is the physician. He is our portion. He is our potter. He is powerful. He is preeminent. He's a pearl of price. He's the prince of peace. On into Q, he is the quickening spirit. So if you lack motivation today, he is a quickening spirit. He is a motivator. He is the best coach of all time. He will fire you up, stir you up, send you out. He will pump you up. He's better than Dan, Dan, Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell. He's the coach of the Lions, man. How do you Come on. If you can motivate the Lions, you can motivate anybody. He's better than Dan Campbell. On into R. He is our redeemer. He is our refiner. He is my refuge. He is my resting place. He is the resurrection and the life. He is my reward. He is the righteous judge, my righteousness. He is the rock of salvation and the rose of Sharon. It's 1130. Let's see if I can get this in the last minute. If for S, he is the sacrifice for sins. He is salvation. He is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He's the savior of the world. He's separate from sinners. He's my shelter. He's my shepherd. He's my shield. He's the son of God, the son of man, the stone 
that the builders rejected. He is the stone. He is the strength of my life. And yet he's the chief cornerstone, by the way. He was rejected, but they needed him to build the house. And those who have found him have been able to build something upon him. He's the strength of my life. He's a stronghold in a day of trouble. He's a strong tower. He's stronger than my enemy, Luke eleven twenty two says. He is the son. Oh, yeah, he's the strong man who comes in, ties up my enemy, cleans out my house, and prepares a way for the Lord. He is the son of righteousness on into tea. He's a tabernacle. He's a treasure buried in a field. He's the true bread of heaven. He's a true light, the true vine, and the truth himself. He is you undefiled. He is unspeakable gift. He is the upholder of all things, and he himself is upright. For thee, he is very present help in time of trouble. Figure to throw that in there. He is our victory, and he is the true vine. For W, he is the way. He is a well of living waters. He is wisdom. He is wisdom. He doesn't just give it. He is wisdom. He is a wise master builder. He is wonderful, and he is worthy. For X, the only one I could think of was he is the excellent one. <laughs> I know it's kind of cheating. It's cheating, but he is the excellent one. Job 13. Job 13, man says, shall not his excellency make you afraid? Yeah, I stand in awe of his excellency. He does everything excellent. He, he doesn't half, half but anything. He, he does everything all the way with excellence. And if he's making me, <laughs> and if he's saving me, he's going to do it excellently. Or because it's my birthday, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're from my generation, he's, he's, he's most excellent, dude. <laughs> All right, so finally, why he is the yes and amen. Yes, that's an answer to the question. Every question, he's the answer to it. Amen, that's a, that's an, a, that's a position on your statement. <laughs> he has something to say about where you are. And when you are in him, and when you ask according to his will, the answer is always yes, and the affirmation is always amen. And finally, with Z, he is zealous. He's the zealous one. Isaiah 37, 32 says he's the zealous one. All right, I'm three minutes late, I'm sorry. But I'm excited about who God is. Would you just like to stand with me for just a minute? If you've never received this God into your heart, or if you have and you haven't been walking with him, and you would like to walk with him, and you would like to receive him into your heart right now, would you just raise your hand and say, this God, I need this God in my life. I know I, I, I gave a lot of titles and a lot of things, and that's great. <laughs> but whatever title stuck out to you, would you just begin speaking that title right now. Would you just begin speaking that title just to yourself? Just begin speaking maybe Abba, Father. Maybe Everlasting, Father. Maybe Comforter, Deliverer, Defender. The Zealous One. The Yes and the Amen. I need answers to my question. I need affirmation for where I am. And so, Father, we come before you today. And scripture says that if anyone will, will believe in his heart and confess with his mouth that Jesus is God and that God has raised him from the dead, that they will be saved. So salvation is not a prayer that you pray. It is a belief in your heart and a confession of your mouth. 
and you simply say, I agree with your word, I believe what Pastor Harry was just reading from, and I need that. And I want to apply the balm of Gilead to my life. That's what this is, this moment right here is the application. There's been the presentation, but now the application. Presentation without application is missing something. We need application in order to receive the power of it. And so, Father, we open ourselves up to you right now. Abba, the Alpha and the Omega, the A to the Z, we open ourselves up to you right now. The real you. Maybe our version of you was a little less than who you really are. Man, that's a good, that's a good Sunday when God can elevate our version of God. When his word can elevate our vision of him. Maybe our version was a little less than what you really are. Now that I see you for who you really are, I want all of you. I want that part. I want the balm of Gilead part. I want the defender. I, I, I want the forgiver. I, I desire for the zealous one, the judge. I want the judge. I want to meet the judge. I want to feel his conviction in my life. Not just me telling myself I should be better, but I, I want to feel the presence of God directing me. I need a director. I need a guide. I need a counselor. I need a comforter. I need a healer, whatever it may be. I lift my hands to you and say, I say, God, apply your blood and your, your, your presence to my life. I receive you. And I believe that you are what your word says that you are. The scripture says that as many as have believed in him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. Even to those who believed in his name. I listed a few names today. And we believe in your name. Jesus. Jesus. The name of Jesus. We build our life on this name and on his teachings. And on his word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 They drew me in so close and they